Welcome to this Herbert Smith Freehills IP podcast on the IP aspects of collaboration agreements. My name is Joel Smith and I'm an intellectual property partner in the IP team here in London. I'm joined by Jessica Wellborn, a senior associate in the IP team, for a discussion on some of the key IP considerations surrounding collaboration agreements. Jess, why a podcast on this topic? Collaboration, partnership or cooperation between parties, even competitors, is becoming more and more common. And we're seeing parties looking to document this type of arrangement with increasing frequency. I should just say, in this context, when we say a collaboration agreement, I'm meaning sort of two or more enterprises agreeing to collaborate in the development of a new product or a new process, or in respect of a research or innovation project. Given the very nature of this type of arrangement, does that mean that you have two or more parties bringing existing technology, other resources, facilities or research to further a new project? Yes, and you mentioned about parties bringing existing technology to the table. Before entering into a collaboration agreement, a due diligence is really important to ensure that the collaborating partner has all the intellectual property rights to the technology which it claims to have and has all of the rights to use such IP as that collaboration intends to exploit it. So there's many different considerations here, but it's essentially looking to establish that the partners will have the freedom to operate using the technology in the collaboration without potential interference or challenge from third parties. Yes, Jess, due diligence of pre-existing IP is a material point. For example, where your collaborator is intending to contribute an apparently critical piece of technology, What IP actually underpins and protects it? Are there any pre-existing licenses granted by the owner which restrict its use or license restrictions which have been imposed by a third party on onward licensing that would here limit use of the technology or its exploitation as part of this collaboration? Know-how may be required to exploit the tech but vested in developers and so there is the practical point of actually ensuring you obtain the benefit of this know-how. Yes, and linked with the bringing of IP to the table, collaborations very often lead to the creation of valuable intellectual property rights, which are themselves capable of commercial exploitation, whether actually intended to be developed as part of the collaboration or not. So one of the key points at the outset of the collaboration is providing for the ownership and control of IP, clearly delineating who has rights to what and in what circumstances those rights might cease. Right, so in practice there are two principal buckets of IP to be considered with collaboration agreements. Pre-existing IP, often termed background IP, which is generated or developed by a party before the collaboration agreement is entered into, or which is created independently of the agreement but which the party needs to use to perform its obligations under the contract. And then there is foreground IP, which is IP which is created or developed during the course or life of the collaboration project, perhaps as an improvement to the background IP. Jess, is there a typical starting position with regards to regulating ownership of these IP rights? Well, with background IP, it's usual for it to be agreed that IP will remain owned by the original owner, i.e. the party bringing that IP to the table. The background IP should be defined very clearly and as broadly as possible, to ensure that that contributing party maintains ownership of all of its background IP rights. On the other side of the spectrum, with foreground IP, uh, not so much. Rights to these are negotiated on a case-by-case basis, and it's often one of the most hotly contested issues in a research and development or collaboration agreement. Yes, I agree. Generally speaking, when negotiating, it is always preferable to be the owner rather than the licensee, 
of the IP rights. Ownership allows you to use and exploit your IP in any way you wish, and it is of course better to have ownership rights rather than contractual rights, which could be terminated. It can be difficult to determine who should own the newly created IP, foreground IP or the improvements in the context of an R&D or collaboration agreement, and the parties will need to agree this on a case-by-case -case basis. It comes down to what the parties intend to do with the IP, often the negotiation power and leverage of one party or another, who's bringing the most to the collaboration. Where one party has a particularly strong bargaining position, for instance they're providing substantial funds to sustain the project, then it may be they look to seek to own all of the developed IP. There is the option of joint ownership. This is sometimes unavoidable, but in general it's undesirable to agree to this. From a practical perspective, it can be difficult for the owners of jointly owned IP to use and exploit that IP. So generally we only advise this in really specific circumstances. And it's worth noting that where it has been agreed that parties will jointly own IP, it's usually necessary to negotiate lengthy provisions detailing how the co-owners will actually deal with the IP in the future. So you can end up with a long and complex agreement, completely separate to an already complicated collaboration agreement. Consideration always needs to be given to the terms for licensing of the IP. The most heavily negotiated aspects of the licensing provisions are, firstly, what is the extent of the IP that is being licensed out to the collaborating party, or that the third party is receiving the benefit of? And secondly, what is the scope of such license grant? Yes, so typically in a standard collaboration, both parties will permit the licensing of their background IP to the other party, purely for the purpose of the collaboration. With foreground IP, it's different. As with ownership, it comes down to negotiation power. Where party X is to own developed IP, for example, well, what rights will party Y have? What scope of license will be negotiated? For the purpose of the collaboration only? Will it be sub-licensable, exclusive, terminable? What's the field of use? There's many points to think about with licensing. Absolutely. I wanted to touch briefly on another issue, confidentiality in this context. Confidentiality is a really key area with collaborations in terms of protecting technical information and know-how. We find in practice that although parties can nod towards it, the considerations and protections which need to be uniquely tailored to the specific project can often be neglected. With the law of confidential information often the only way of protecting certain commercially sensitive material or even inventions, and the fact that confidential information will often be at the centre of collaborations and pass between the collaborating parties, it needs to be considered and addressed up front. There are many other considerations for collaboration agreements, such as monitoring of competitor obligations, warranties and indemnities, structuring the projects with phases and milestones, payments, we could go on. I hope those of you listening have found this podcast useful. If you have any other queries, please do contact Jessica or myself. Our details are posted with this podcast on our Intellectual Property Notes blog at www.hsfnotes.com slash IP slash. Please do subscribe to our blog if you haven't already for more podcasts and for updates on all aspects of IP law and practice. Thank you again.